As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. What is up, everyone? Welcome to Draft Week. It is finally at long last here. This one, even though the Bills had a kind of shorter offseason than we're used to, the last couple of weeks have really felt like it's dragged on a little bit, hasn't it? I mean, there's just... uh, it, It gets about to this point every single year with the draft, but... But it it's fun to a point because you have to sift through stuff. And at the same point, you have to figure out uh, exactly what the heck each team is going to do. But welcome into the Buffalo Beat, everyone. My name is Joe Biscaglia. With me is my co-host, Matthew Fairburn. And we will be discussing everything Bills uh, leading up to the first round. First three rounds, I would say. Um, just because we can we can kind of get into strategy. Uh, some of the names that are being bandied about currently in the draft Twitter sphere uh, in relation to the Bills, and certainly some other stuff too. So uh, it is here, Matthew. I mean, I, for one, am simultaneously glad and forlorn that it's here because it's such a fun event, but it's also, like I said, it also gets to this point where it's like, all right, well, let's just do the damn thing. Yeah, it definitely reaches that point every year. And it is an excellent event, you know, for the weekend and in the aftermath, you know, assessing the the haul that every team got and how they put together their draft class and the, the backstories of the players and how they got there and how the teams arrived at drafting each player. Those can be fun stories years down the road. Uh, it's certainly a, a drama-packed event in the moment and throughout the weekend, but really the last couple of weeks before the draft can be a bit of a drag, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just filling space with, you know, buildup and speculation and rumors and all the other stuff that can get tiresome after a while. I find it, you know, it's this time of year that a lot of the the draft analysts have looked at 
you know, 2022 or the following year. Scouts have mostly turned their attention to the following year by now. And it that's like the most fun time for the draft is like a new, exciting batch of prospects. When people have reached an entire year of talking about, frankly, the same, you know, handful of names, you know, at, at, at varying positions and arguing about the order and all of that, it can definitely, you know, it can be a grind uh, toward the end of it, but mm-hmm. it just makes it, I think that's part of what makes it such a fun event is once it gets here, there's such a relief that it's finally here because there's so much talk, so much buildup. And you realize that a lot of the stuff that gets thrown out there in the weeks and months leading up, uh, as far as rumors connecting teams to various players, a lot of it is nonsense. And you don't really know what's going to happen on draft night. And I think that's why it's, it's fun. I think it's why it's a great, you know, one of the, the highest rated weekends of the year, um, you know, for the NFL on TV, it's, it's one of their main events on the calendar. It's one of the main events on the sports calendar. And I think we've certainly seen in the last few weeks, how little people know, um, and how little, you know, the public knows about what's going on and how little even the, the insiders uh, know what's happening with these first few picks and beyond. So it certainly creates a lot of a lot of drama come Thursday night. Yeah, it does. And there have been plenty of rumors throughout this stretch, and um, a pretty pertinent one popped up over the weekend uh, in regards to the Bills. And I feel like. We, we would be doing our listeners a disservice if we started anywhere else. But with this precise rumor or team to player to team rumor, um, because it has been a popular one on Bill's Twitter and all Bill's social media, the idea of Travis Etienne, the Clemson running back, um, to which there were multiple national reporters Basically, it it felt like it all happened on Monday or late Sunday night that that uh, said, ah, look out for the Bills as a team for ETN. And Todd McShay of ESPN even went on to say, you know, there are some teams that believe the Bills will even trade up into the 20s to uh, the early 20s to draft Travis ETN. And we've we've discussed the idea of uh, the Bills selecting a running back but before we get into that aspect of it and why perhaps we believe or don't believe that it would be a wise thing to do I just want to throw this out there everyone should be taking what is being widely circulated right now three days ahead of the draft with a grain of salt we have been here again and again and again. It's fun, don't get me wrong, because you get rumors and all of this different stuff and and you like to envision what could happen and it and then I'm sure a lot of uh fans out there that had fun watching the Bills offense last year are picturing a guy who was on national television basically every single one of his college games played on a huge stage, put up big numbers is uh, a passing back. Um, they're like, oh, wow, look at this guy. What what can he do for this offense? And and is he the missing piece? Can they put them over the hump to, to Kansas City? I think the biggest thing we have 
to think about, though, is the fact that it it's all kind of popping up right now. <laughs> and what is the motivation for it to pop up right now? You think Brandon Bean, is, who has 29 variables ahead of him, is sitting there going, all right, let's push this out into the universe. Or the entire... Uh, and and saying yeah let's let's signal our our draft plans to the world at 30 <laughs> 30th overall uh as opposed to the niners who are still not even uh they say they're not even sure who they're going to take at 3 but the bills are locked in to one guy at 30th overall but he, be it as it may what is the motivation for this to be out there or are is there's just this massive conspiracy for teams to really throw the Bills draft plans out there uh, ahead of time. Like, why? You just, with any time you get a rumor as strong as this one from as many people, or I I use the term strong loosely, for as, uh, I guess, as popular as this one, this close to the draft, you always have to raise your eyebrow and go, okay, what is being gained here for this? And my immediate reaction to it, not because I give a crap about whether or not they draft a running back, because I don't, is, okay, perhaps someone from the Bill side might be trying to to get other players to fall and, and, you know, maybe create some general disarray in the order in front of them, maybe get a team to jump up ahead of them to, to snag a guy like ETN if they have no uh, actual inclination to select him. It just seems extremely odd for, I counted three or four different national people that chimed in with, hey, look out for the bills with ETN. It just seemed very contrived It is the word I would pick for it. Yeah, I think... Like you said, you have to think about why a rumor is out there, how it's out there. Um, it's not always easy to sift through all of that, but the root of this appears to be Todd McShay saying that, you know, like you said, that the Bills are considering trading into the top 20 for Travis Etienne. I, if If that were true, and if it is true, if the Bills do trade up for Travis Etienne, you know, good on Todd McShay, I guess, but I don't know that if the Bills were really on Travis Etienne that Todd McShay would necessarily know about it. Uh, or or if they were, you know, if I don't know that that's coming directly from anybody in the Bills building. It's possible, but I, I, I'm not really convinced of that. So what you end up with this time of year and, you know, maybe this is too insider baseball for people, but, you know, scouts talk, college coaches talk, agents talk, you know, players themselves talk, other teams talk, and you can start to, because teams are doing the same thing this time of year, trying to piece together what the draft will look like, which teams are on which players, and trying to, you know, figure out, you know, separate fact from fiction with all these rumors too. So Brandon Bean very well could be calling teams in the early 20s. That would not surprise me because he does yeah, that me neither. most years, I would think. He's talking to general managers, figuring out what the price is, weighing all of his options and saying, all right, 
it'll cost this to get up to 20 or this team isn't interested in moving figuring all as much of that out ahead of time so that on draft night he's not caught flat-footed that i think is very much within reason so that gets to the point where brandon bean makes a call to a team in the 20s for that purpose and that makes its way to todd mcshay through one of these channels and it turns into the Bills are trying to get into the early 20s. It's it's a stretch from, you know, one to the next. But mm-hmm. same with the Travis Etienne stuff. They could like Travis Etienne. Perhaps Brandon Bean has even told some of these insiders that the Bills like Travis Etienne. That can be true, and the Bills can be trying to trade up without the two being necessarily connected. Um, mm-hmm. If there was a master plan in place for the Bills to move up to draft Travis Etienne. Brandon Bean would not broadcast it. Doesn't mean it wouldn't oh, no. it does not mean that it wouldn't get out there because I think that's another myth that, oh, there's never any leaks. There are leaks. You know, things get out there. Um, news breaks, people know things, people talk. You know, the Bills drafting Josh Allen didn't come out of left field when they did it. But when you're making those calls to those teams and Brandon Bean and I recently talked about this for a story I did on the 2018 draft, it's not as if he's calling the teams and saying, Hey, we'd love to get up there to get Josh Allen. You know, is there, is there any way you could trade me the pick? There's, there's none of that happening. There's, Hey, we have a guy we want and we'd like to move up. You know, are you interested now? Maybe the bills like Travis Etienne, maybe they, have shown a lot of interest in him in the pre-draft process, but it's hard to take it on face value from, you know, knowing how these things can originate and how they can be pieced together. And I don't mean that to say that, that Todd McShay doesn't have some information that's leading him to believe that it's just a matter of where it's coming from and how it originated and so I don't know that it's, oh, Todd McShay said the Bills are going to trade up for Travis Etienne, like lock it in, put it in stone. Because for a couple of reasons, like you said, they're picking at number 30. They're not picking 10th or 14th. You know, I think in the top 15, it's a lot easier to forecast than beyond that. And when you get to 30, you know, Brandon Bean's not going to be as paranoid about the information that's out there when he's picking 30 because there's so many variables in front of him that he doesn't have a whole lot of control over it anyways. Um, Him saying he's really interested in Travis Etienne, you know, the perception would be that, oh, he's trying to push other guys down the board or throwing out a masterful smoke screen. I don't even know. I'm not sure he's putting that much thought into it. Sure. There's a benefit if he doesn't want Travis Etienne to put that out there because Maybe it convinces another team to take him ahead of them or convinces somebody to trade up. But it's a lot of words to simply say that I don't know that that alone should be the factor convincing people that it's going to happen. It's a fun talking point. You know, it's filled up some space here on our podcast. We've talked about ETM before and the idea of them drafting a running back before, uh, but if it happens, I guess kudos to Todd McShay. 
um, for being on it. But I, the way you see a lot of these reports worded or a lot of these rumors worded this time of year, it just, it, they're flimsy to me, oh, you yeah. know, when I, when I read them. And it's part of what frustrates me about the draft because I love it so much. I've always loved it since I was a kid. Uh, it's been one of my, you know, favorite weekends on the calendar. As I've covered it, you know, this is like my ninth draft. I think I've covered going back to when I covered the draft uh, in college, and the way, you know, journalistically things get out there this time of year and what passes as news this time of year is flimsier than most points on the calendar. And part of that is the, you know, machine that is the NFL draft, the, you know, content machine that it is and the popularity of it and the drama and the reality TV show. But even earlier this week, you know, when there's reports that the 49ers have narrowed it down to Mac Jones or Trey Lance for the number three pick, you know, that's saying a lot without saying much, right? Mm -hmm. It's saying that there's disagreement in the 49ers building. It's not explicitly saying that, but if most teams, the hay is in the barn at this point, your rankings are set. The Bills board is set right now. It's sitting somewhere in, in one Bills drive. The positional rankings are set. There's not going to be dramatic movement unless late medical info comes in that causes them to move off a player. The character stuff should very well be uh, you know, put together at this point. It is as close to set as it can be. And that is not a team picking number three overall, talking about their quarterback and having <laughs> moved up to number three. Now, if it's true that the 49ers are not yet decided on the quarterback, that means there's some argument going on late and there's disagreement and not a consensus in the building. Not uncommon for there not to be a consensus, but probably uncommon for Monday of draft week for them to have not narrowed in on a target with the number three pick, knowing that the first two picks are pretty well locked in. But the way that... That the reports haven't suggested that there's big time disagreement in the 40, which is actually interesting. That's an interesting story and, you know, a really compelling angle. It's more, oh, they've narrowed it down as if teams are, this is not your college final that, you know, you're waiting until the last minute to study for. Teams have done their work. Now, if they haven't, again, that's noteworthy and newsworthy, but it's more so we in the media narrowing it down like through process of elimination and trying to figure out uh, reading the tea leaves. There's a, a radio host in Cleveland who had a great tweet earlier this week uh, with sort of a reminder of he'd kept track of every rumor report leading up to the 2018 draft. And it wasn't until April 24th, a couple days before the first round that Baker Mayfield was identified as a, as a strong possibility for the number one pick. And by draft day, people had locked it in, but that was the number one pick. Like there's not much of a reason to hide that if you're the Browns. I mean, I guess there is, you know, to kind of, they had the number four pick as well. So, you know, some of that gamesmanship, but that was the number one pick and it took that long to kind of figure it out. So the number 30 pick, 
Yeah, you can connect the Bills to some teams. You can connect them or to some players. You can connect them to making calls on trades. But it's a it's a stretch to think that if that were true, that it would be out there so black and white because mm-hmm. it's hard for them to know. Um, it's probably more likely they would trade up for one of the defensive ends or even one of the cornerbacks than a running back. But again, it could happen. And if so, kudos to Todd. Yeah. Um, I, I do wonder about this, um, from just from an observer standpoint as well. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure you do the same thing as I do. You, you get to know, uh, you identify throughout the years, specific people that put out, um, information and, and how much of it kind of comes back. And one, one person that I think does a really good job with his mock drafts leading up, and he specifically combs through Intel, and he even described his process earlier this year as saying he puts out a mock draft and then gets feelers thrown at him, and then that helps him construct his second mock draft, is Peter Schrager, who um, does good morning football for NFL Network, and he also works for Fox Sports. He does a great job with it. And one of the things I observed from him at least that I hadn't seen previously was that he had Travis Etienne in the top 20. So perhaps all along when this, this thought that Etienne could be there at 30, all all of this good stuff. Now it might just be a game of posturing to make sure that he does indeed go ahead of that pick or, or that there was never even a likelihood that he would have been there in the first place. Or trying to get someone, say, I don't know, the Cardinals or the Jaguars who have a bunch of draft capital or, you know, insert team name, the Jets. Trying to get one of those teams to use their precious resource on on a running back. Um, I think there is at least some amount of some amount of thinking that goes into that. And again, it all comes back to motivation. Like what is there to gain from this many reports out there? And McShay wasn't the only one. Uh, Albert Breer had, had something along those lines. I'm pretty sure I saw Peter King mock him to, uh, to the bills as well in, in his uh, mock draft on Monday. It, it all just seems a little, I don't know. Like I said before, well, it seems contrived. Yeah, here's this. Like, So I'm reading Albert Breer's report right now, and this is sort of what I'm talking about. Remove the validity of the possibility of the Bills taking ETN. Like, it could happen, and I would not be shocked. But the way the reports are worded is such that it's really hard to you know, there's a lot of hedging going on. There's so much hedging happening with all of these reports. And the so from Sports Illustrated, Albert Breer, uh, who does a really good job, especially with the draft. He does. Uh, he's, yeah, he's, he's great. He's tied in. He said, what you need to know, a second-tier corner, this is about the Bills, a second-tier tier corner probably would make the most sense, but Clemson's Travis Etienne was a name raised to me for Buffalo. So – was a name raised to me for Buffalo, the 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 passive voice, um, 
you know, is clouding where this information is coming from and, you know, really not giving you a, a sense of how strong the information is. Who raised it, you know, and and that I think says a lot. I mean, people are trying to protect sources this time of year, um, and that's you know part of why that language is used. And you know, and the comp I've gotten most for him is Alvin Kamara, a player you have to plan for, but one can be incredibly difficult for defenses to handle. Adding ETN to that skill group as an underneath weapon with the Bills' ability to go downfield would be pretty tantalizing. So. In that, a name that's been raised, that could be a scout on another team. That could be ETN's agent. That could be any number of things. Um, and if it were stronger, we'd probably know it. So, um, or you just speak directly. The Bills love ETN. That's not what this says. This says that that was a name raised to him. By who? We don't know. Um, Todd McShay's was the last bit of buzz for you. Travis ETN is the hottest running back in this class right now in terms of where his draft stock is going to be. I'm told that Buffalo at 30 is talking to teams ahead of the Jets at 23 and Jacksonville at 25 and going ahead of Pittsburgh as well, trying to get in position to get ETN. They think that he's the best back. They want to pair him with uh, Josh Allen and create that backfield. So that is stronger language. He's reporting that the Bills have Travis ETN as the number one running back. Um, but again, talking to teams ahead of the Jets in Jacksonville, that could be happening for any number of reasons. And if they are doing that, they're not signaling to those teams who they're trying to get. That's not really how those conversations happen. So it's about, you know, figuring out on what, you know, ground people are standing on, you know, why, why they've arrived at the conclusions they've arrived at. And I don't know, the, the ETN stuff has been, you have to also remember like putting together mock drafts and all this stuff is not, um, you know, it, it's taxing, it's a grind. And if there's one easy one to do in the back half of the first round to check it off, that's, you know, that that's helpful. Uh, if you, you know, if it happens, you know, it's being connected enough or a name that's thrown around enough, um, it's helpful to have some clarity in the back half of the first round. The reality is you rarely have that. Uh, and mm -hmm. you know, that can be the tricky part of projecting what's going to happen. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
a rumor like this one is mock draft candy because it it gives people something they can they can lock into. And again, this is not concerning the validity of it, but it would also fly in the face of a lot of things Brandon Bean has said throughout this entire offseason. I mean, the at at its surface level, which when you're looking at at mock drafting from the lens of the way that when people put it together, they are rarely locked in to every single nuance of every single team. It's just impossible. Your mind would explode for for you to have all of that, um, every single contract uh, detail, every single um, guaranteed money that could affect affect it, uh, you know, cap hits that that could they could get out of in in the following year, uh, long term needs, how how the how the specific teams like to approach positions. It is impossible to have every single now every knowledge point of every single team in the draft. So I get it. It's uh, on the surface level, you think, all right, the Bills, they really struggled to move the ball on the ground last year. And Zach Moss and Devin Singletary, they didn't have a great year. And on the surface, you are absolutely right. But when you dig, you sit there and go, okay, well, Brandon Bean has gone out of his way to defend these people. And even like, Two or three sentences ahead of him making that home run hitter comment, he said, and I'm I, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but he effectively said, "We are more than comfortable with going into the season with the backs that we have." And sometimes that's that is uh you know just draft talk and trying to hide your intentions, but like he he went out and defended them back in January when when he first spoke, and if you look at the numbers. From from last year, you know, I, I've been watching a lot of these conversations on Twitter happen, and you know, there was there was one interesting one that that kind of popped up to me. Um, the Circling the Wagons podcast, they have their own Twitter account. They put out some pretty interesting stats that I think support the claim that the Bills are pretty comfortable with the fact that their running backs didn't really have the best chance in front of them last year in yards before contact last year. Yards before contact, so. This stat effectively says, okay, how much running room are these guys getting before they have to, you know, pull a rabbit out of their hat? So last year, Zach Moss, league-wide in yards before contact, ranked 39th. Devin Singletary ranked 45th. So that's not a running back issue. And how about yards after contact? Well, yards after contact, as they put out there, uh, the Circling the Wagons podcast, Zach Moss was seventh and Devin Singletary second. Now, both of these things kind of help one another here because if you're not having a lot of room to roam and you're still having somewhat of a, a good rushing average, then odds are your yards after contact are going to be higher than your yards before contact. That's just simple facts there. But the important stat here is the yards before contact. I mean, we heard Bean say it. They were not happy with the run blocking last year. Um, Offensive line, tight ends, kind of lumped it all together. Maybe it was was schematic induced or, or something along those lines. But he basically said 
and he didn't absolve the running backs, don't get me wrong, but he basically said to totally blame them for what happened to their run game last year is false, which it is. If you watch the film, it totally is. So when you have two guys that they have really liked and Singletary had a good rookie season, like going into his, going into his second year, there was a lot of people who thought he could, he could bust out and didn't happen, but he did get better in some areas that are important to the running back position, which is pass protection and protecting the football and as receiver, albeit uh, he wants to kind of get that, that uh, dropped pass against Kansas city out of his brain. That, that wasn't too commonplace last year. Zach Moss is another person that they're excited about who had a really good second half to the season. I mean, he, he fumbled the ball early against San Francisco, got benched the rest of the time, but outside of that game, after the bye, Moss was great for the Bills last year. And I just find it very odd that they would give up on one of those two that they have believed so fervently in, because that's what they would have to do. They're not dressing all three of Singletary Moss and Travis Etienne or insert running back here on game day. It's just not happening. That's not how they structure their roster. They brought back Taiwan Jones to be their special teams guy. They have three running backs that dress every single week. They're not going to have all three of those guys dressed. So that means they would be giving up on Devin Singletary and trying to trade him for, for parts, essentially. And I don't, I don't, I just don't know that I fully believe that they're there yet with those guys. So I really like ETN. Like I watched, I watched a ton of them, probably a good, like 11, 12 games of him over the last two years. It's a lot of fun. But you know what he he doesn't represent? A long-term need for this team. Moss and Singletary are both signed to rookie deals for the next two years. Moss is signed for the next three years. So why are you spending a precious resource on a non-premium position where you're already set with players that you believe in? That's that's why the logic doesn't doesn't add up to me. So I don't know. You can you can take it from there. Yeah, I think he would make them better in 2021 and i i think yeah i agree he would you know i wouldn't hate the pick at 30 it wouldn't be what i would do but brandon bean you know as we talked about with his draft philosophy and going after guys he feels really strongly about or, or really convicted on you know and trading up he does you know kind of buck some of that quote unquote smart thinking of trade back and get as many swings as you can. And that may hold true with a running back in the first round. You know, that may be something he thinks about. You know, he was in Carolina when they took Christian McCaffrey. Uh, they took a few first round running backs uh, in, you know, in a, a different uh, iteration of that Panthers regime. Um but so he could do it he very well, you know, he could yeah. do it. And I wouldn't necessarily, you know, I don't think he would do it without a plan. You know, I think if he did it, there would be a reason for it. And, you know, I think most people at this point, you know, trust Brandon Bean to that extent, right? That it, whoever they take, it's um, with a plan. But he he is what they lack, right? The whole home run hitter comment 
took off for a reason because that's true. Devin Singletary and Zach Moss weren't really busting off long runs last year. Um, not all their fault, but still true. You know, that's been mm-hmm. kind of a weakness of, of Devin Singletary's game. A lot of their, you know, 10 plus yard runs come from Josh Allen. In fact, um, you know, they had Bill's running backs had eight rushes of 20 plus yards last year and 37 rushes of 10 or more yards last year. Um, Josh Allen had, you know, uh, a pretty good year in that regard. Um, ripping off, let me see. He had 23 rushes of 10 plus yards counting the playoffs two rushes of 20 plus yards. So um, he was pretty close to matching the running backs uh, in the the 10 plus yard department. So it's not as if, you know, it's a complete non-need for the Bills. And there is something, you know, it is at times commendable to pivot off of a mistake. If you think Devin Singletary is a mistake, pivot off that and you've got ETN and Moss. All of that seems perfectly reasonable and logical to me. I do think there are other running backs in this class that, you know, can provide a little bit of that home run ability while using that resource on something more important. And I think that's where where I come down on it is that, you know, you're never going to be upset about adding a big time playmaker to your offense. And the idea in general is not a bad one. As good as their offense was, adding more talent to it and a guy that can contribute in the passing game, um, you know, not a not a bad idea. I mean, Travis Etienne had 22 plays of 40 plus yards in his college career. I mean, that's pretty great. <laughs> like that's what you're looking mm-hmm. for. I just come down in the on the side of it that there are other things that this team needs, short and long term. Um, corner and defensive end probably being the top two after what happened to them in the AFC championship game. And I think they've got enough of what they need at running back. I don't know that they've fixed it. I don't know that it's solved or that they've nailed it at running back, but I do think there are more important things to address. This will end up being, you know, kind of an interesting storyline to follow. It is basically become the storyline to follow of like, will the bills take a running back in the first round? Will they Mm -hmm. take a guy like Travis Etienne? And that might simply be a a creation of what we were talking about earlier. The, the amount of time we have to talk ourselves into circles about what's going to happen in the draft. That's a lot more compelling and buzzy conversation than what might end up being reality, right? You know, and I think a lot of it comes down to that is that, you know, Travis Etienne is fun. Uh, He's fun to watch and thus fun to talk about and imagine in a Bills offense that already broke records last year. Would even potentially be a, a wise and smart addition depending on how they use him and, you know, how it impacts the rest of their roster. But in reality, it feels like the Bills have a few more pressing needs than that. Mm-hmm. It'll be you know, it would be really telling about how they feel about their current running backs if that's what ended up happening. But I think, you know, there's a few other positions that that should be a higher priority. 
Yeah. I mean, and to your point, this is now the second basically full episode that we've sat here talking about the idea of them drafting a running back and even more specifically, Travis Etienne, because he's the guy, he is the guy that every single Bills fan on Twitter has been seeing their favorite team linked to over the last 48 hours now. So when you have all of those things kind of pointing you in that one direction, it's like, it's hard not to fathom, okay, what do they look like with him? But then you get back to what you're talking about, the pressing needs. And we we dial it back to the other big comment from Brandon Bean that was vague in in just its words in general, but still important. And you're able to construct some sort of draft theory for them if you study the roster, which a lot of us do, which is the fact that he said with pick 30, they're going to be looking more long-term than short-term. And it sure feels like that drafting a running back at 30 is a lot more short-term than long-term, especially when you look at all of these other factors that that tie into it. I mean, let's, let's take a look at all of these positions that they could use past 2021, right? All right, so... A cornerback of some sort. Taron Johnson is going to be a a free agent at the end of the year. And the Bills are already really tight on cap room in 2022. Especially if Bean, who said it multiple times in that press conference, especially if the, the salary cap does not rise all that much that people are kind of expecting it to. So there's that. The odds that they bring back a guy like Taron Johnson, who's been, you know, he's been fine. He's been an average starter. Not really great in coverage, a good run support, um, but he's going to be gone at the end of the year, which means they're going to have a hole at nickel at least. And as of right now, people think that they have a hole at boundary corner, which they probably do, um, even though they they feel like they're they're comfortable enough at least putting a competition together with Dane Jackson and Levi, Levi Wells. So that that's one position to look at. Then you look at pass rusher, which we've talked about on this podcast a lot. I mean, A.J. Epinesa is signed for the next three seasons. Absolutely. Past him, what do you have in 2022 and beyond? Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison, they are both free agents at the end of the year. And again, the salary cap standpoint. If the Bills are so tight to it right now, are they going to have room to bring back Jerry Hughes? They might be able to work something out, but it's at least a consideration to wonder, okay, so what happens if this doesn't work out? And then they don't have the the freedom and free agency to sign a pass rusher. Like, what what does that roster look like on a team that completely yearns for at least a three-person rotation with their defensive ends? It's pretty clear to them that Daryl Johnson ain't it in terms of a defensive end. I mean, maybe he can put things together. It's going to be a big summer for him. But mostly, they look at him as a special teams guy. They signed F.A. Obata, who has apparently $800,000 in guaranteed salary this year. And they're probably intent on keeping him as a just-in-case that they don't come away with a pass rusher in the draft, I would think. So there's there's another spot that that you could look to as saying, okay, much greater long-term need than you know taking the short-term route with a running back. 
On top of that, one technique defensive tackle. They could move on from Star Latule next year and Harrison Phillips as a free agent. So there's another spot. You look at linebacker. They can move from A.J. Klein next year if they wanted to. That's probably less of a pressing need just because base linebacker uh, probably plays 20 to 30% of snaps. So probably not a huge consideration, but still something to at least talk about. And then the, the other big one that I haven't discussed, interior offensive line. They could save over $7 million by cutting Mitch Morse, but that would leave them without either A, a starting center, or B, a starting guard if they slide Feliciano over to center. And not to mention, they could also move on from Feliciano. So all of these different things are in play for them to be able to save room next year to have some amount of flexibility. But they need plans in place. They like to ha- they don't like to start rookies. They like to have players that have gone through at least a year of their roster or at least half a year of their roster before they become an every week contributor for them. So to me, that's why taking the very short term lens of going, hey, ETN here, he's fun. He could he could take them to a, a great spot next year. But then what are you looking at with pass rusher in 2022? Is Travis Etienne going to prevent Patrick Mahomes from dicing up the Bills secondary, dicing up the, the Bills linebacking core, dicing up the Bills zone coverage? No. You know what is? A better pass rush, which is something the Bills alluded to. Um, better cornerback play. Not allowing as many yards on the ground as they did. It, it all adds up to it. Like the Bills did not have a scoring problem last year. They had a scored on problem last year, especially against the Chiefs. So it just really makes you, and I'm with you. If they end up picking ETN, I would really like to see their plan, their justification and what they want to do with him. But if you believe in the players that you have in your system already, then it just seems kind of a, a weird pick to make in that spot. And there's also this little nugget that I didn't know, even though I cover the team. And I read it today in uh, Tyler Dunn's piece on Devin Singletary at, over at uh, over at the Go Long Hub. Go check that story out when you get a chance. Devin Singletary went to that same high school as the Pagula's children. So he has a... Uh, a special tie, so to speak, with with the ownership of the team. So I just wonder, are we are we falling prey to a draft rumor three days ahead of time? And are they instead just going to look at the spot where we always thought they were? Pass rusher, cornerback, or interior offensive line if, if all hell breaks loose? Yeah, I think Devin Singletary is an interesting component to this because clearly at times Sean McDermott grew frustrated with him last year and last year was not a good year for him uh, in terms of Mm -hmm. explosiveness and creating big plays as Tyler wrote about he's done a lot of you know Devin Singletary's done a lot of reflection and you know a lot of work to try to become faster become more explosive this is a guy who had a lot of carries in college. And, you know, like I said, pivoting off a mistake at the right time is part of being a good 
general manager or evaluator, like those things happen. You make mistakes. Totally agree. Figuring out when you have is important. So that's the component of the the running back equation that I'm not, you know, totally opposed to. Like if you don't think Devin Singletary is good, that's fine. Uh, that's not, you know, it's a third round pick. It's a it's a tough one to to swallow if you're mm-hmm. the one who picked him. But I think you would have some evidence for that and some justification. And I think Sean McDermott's, you know, behavior with Singletary was a bit telling. Now, it would be early by their by their past behavior. Um, like I said, justified, maybe like, you know, having that conviction to move on, I think is a, is a good thing. They haven't done that a lot. You know, they tend to wait a little bit longer, but if a really good player is sitting there that they think, I think a lot of it will depend and it seems obvious to say, but a lot of it will depend on how they have Travis Etienne graded compared to other running backs in this class and obviously compared to how other teams have ETN graded. If they view him as a top 15 overall player, you know, and give him that type of grade, which is, you know, a game-changing running back that can make plays in both the, the running game and the passing game, and he falls to 30, then you're probably justified in making that pick, especially if you're shaky on your confidence in, in Devin Singletary. If he's got a similar grade to players at other positions, I don't see how that would be a pick that they would make um, unless they have totally given up on Devin Singletary. And that doesn't seem entirely likely to me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it'll be an interesting name. To, there's also a possibility that, that Najee Harris and Travis Etienne are gone by, you know, pick 23-24 and – you know that feels like what is most, and likely. it's not even a conversation. And then, yeah, you know, it's been a lot of wasted air, but that's the draft. So, uh, I think, <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of, of factors that that play into it. But to me, it a lot. You know, the simplest part of it is, you know, how is he going to be graded relative to other players in this class? If it's simply that he has a late first round grade. I feel like there's going to be other players with a similar grade on their board at more Mm -hmm. important positions. But Mm -hmm. if they've identified him as a special rare back while other teams let him slide, that could certainly change the equation. And I don't think that anybody quite knows how high ETN is on their board. There's a case to be made that, oh, in a year, like we talked about, with a weird scouting process, shortened schedules, opt-outs, uh, lack of information, that perhaps you would feel most convicted on a player that you've seen play a ton of football and a player that feels pretty safe. I think we can both sit here and safely say Travis Etienne has a good chance to be a productive NFL player. It feels like a safe pick in that regard positional value and everything else, it's a bit of a gamble and uh, certainly a gamble on your short-term roster and the ability to have 
success in the next couple of years. But you maybe can talk yourself into it that way too, of saying, look, it becomes a guessing game after however many picks. And this guy feels like a sure thing, you know, go and get that guy. But again, it feels like there's a lot of mental gymnastics required to justify it when it seems easier to, you know, look at what they've valued in their past picks and actions in Carolina and Buffalo and look at their problems in the AFC championship game and other games that they lost and, you know, zero in on some, some players at other positions, notably pass rusher, cornerback, the two spots that gave them some issues against Kansas city. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and I'm with you. If, if they, have like a top 10 grade on this guy and somehow he's sitting there at 30 then then sure i mean then that's probably where you they would stick to their board because it still does hit them with the old need meets value thing because running back you can talk yourself it into that being at least a quasi need it's i just find it i would find it extremely odd for them to have a complete flip the script opinion on Devin Singletary from what they thought of him after his first season to what they think of him after his second season. Like usually teams, if they see some success from a young player, the way that they did with Devin Singletary, that is not something that you give up on. Usually, usually you want to see it out, especially Brandon Bean, who is uh, from you know, in a lot of different, uh, a lot of different areas has hung on to some players and, and let other players walk that he probably shouldn't have because, you know, he wanted to see it out with, with a young player like Ray Ray McLeod kind of stands out here in that, like we, we all had a pretty good idea that Ray Ray McLeod probably wasn't going to crack into their wide receiver rotation. Never did, but they hung on. They wanted to see. Now, the stakes are a little higher now because they don't have as many uh, wasteable roster spots. Uh, wasteable is, a, is, a, is an insulting term. A, as many roster spots that they can afford to use on young players. We'll put it that way. I think th- them completely changing course on Singletary would be somewhat of a surprise. Especially... Because they gave Zay Jones the benefit of the doubt with even more of a sample size into his third season before they ultimately traded him. So I, I just wonder. I, I'm, I, I hear you on the, on the grade point. And, and if odds are if the Bills have him graded that highly, then somebody else probably does too. And so this is all, like you said, probably wasted air. So we've, we've talked it. We're, we're on 53 minutes. We've been talking about conceptualizing, running back, and all of these different things. So job well done to whoever started that rumor because uh, we have given a lot of time to it. So I guess we should probably switch courses just for a a tiny second. Um, This is our last episode before the draft happens. So I'll, I'll pose a question to you, Matthew Fairburn. If you had to take a guess at what position... And I'm, I mean, trying to guess the name, 29 picks 
down the road is somewhat of a fruitless adventure because you just don't know. There's There are too many variables. If you had to pick a position that you think the Bills will come away with on um, after Thursday night, what position and why? I've sort of locked myself into cornerback as as the spot, and Greg Newsom is the player I gave them in my final seven-round mock draft on Monday at The Athletic. I just think the value will match up nicely in that spot without them having to trade up. And I'm not 100% convinced that will happen at edge rusher, but I do think that it's kind of a 1A, 1B situation. I think both are needs for this team, and both are pretty good spots in the draft to get one uh, at 30 or moving up a little bit. And both positions do have a bit of a drop-off. Um, you know, I think you're going from at corner at 30, getting a guy who can start and play early to on day two, a player who's a bit more of a project will probably have to start given his draft position, but may not do so right away. Same goes for defensive end and defensive end is a position that even at 30, they might not get a guy who plays immediately. And I think they'd be fine with that. So it's those two spots. It's the two wishful thinking targets, I think, are Greg Newsom from Northwestern, the corner. May not be there at 30. Hard to tell, you know, with mock drafts being all over the board. He's Dane Brugler's number 18 ranked player. So a little bit of wishful thinking. And I think the other wishful thinking target would be Quiddy Pay, the defensive end from Michigan. R- really mm-hmm. solid fit for for what they do. An- another guy seems maybe more in that 18 to 24 range is has been the comfortable landing spot for him in a lot of mock drafts but yeah i think cornerback you know memories of what happened to them in that afc championship game will likely you know be on their mind when they're when you know they were preparing for this draft and it's why corner and defensive end have been the two spots because there were some coverage issues in that game and there was certainly a pass rush issue in that game and it really haunted them the entire night. So those are the two spots I'm looking at, but I've leaned corner. Uh, I've gotten myself into that camp. So I, I stuck with it this week in my final mock. <laughs> um, I, I do like the corner idea. Um, it, I probably lean more edge rusher, but I'll get to that in a minute. Um, corner. I think, a name we've discussed a little bit that would be interesting for them and not in the same way as like a, a Greg Newsom or a, um, you know, Eric Stokes, Caleb Farley, all these other guys that are boundary only players is, is Asante Samuel uh, Jr. Just because I think with the amount of nickel that they play, it's basically their base defense anyway. And if, if that player is going to be out there 70 to 80% of the time as it is, or let's say conservatively 65 to 75% of the time, then you can justify with Samuel's skill set the other 25 to 35% of the time having him out there as the other boundary cornerback with three linebackers on the field and, and going about your business that way. So 
Um, there is a lot of value, I think, at that nickel spot because of how how um, how much teams attacked the Bills in that spot through the air last season. Like Taron Johnson, outside of the the run back for a touchdown, was not all that great last year in coverage. Like I said, good run supporter, everything like that, but just wasn't there um, with the coverage. And even in that AFC Championship game, one of the the lasting memories of Taron Johnson was just getting blown off the ball within one step by Tyreek Hill when they switched to man-to-man coverage and that play went for a touchdown. So, you know, there's, I mean, Tyreek Hill did more after the catch, but it's just, it's part of it. Like he d- didn't even put up a fight. So maybe, maybe that's something they could, they could look to at corner. Um, I tend to land on edge rusher and for a lot of the same reasons that, that you kind of laid out, I think it was a big weakness for them last year outside of Jerry Hughes. Uh, I do think they want to start to think about life after Jerry Hughes because they can't rely on him for too much longer. And it might be the last year they can rely on him to, to be their marquee pass rusher in this scheme. And I just think back to basically the first thing out of Bean's mouth when, when talking about, you know, how to get past Kansas city, you know, he, he immediately responded after, you know, going through a couple of filler sentences with, well, you see what Tampa did and getting pressure on him. It's like, <laughs> okay, well, I, it seems like you weren't able to do that last year. So to me, that that kind of has a little weight. Plus, when you look at the the players that could be available at 30, I think there is going to be a good pass rusher there. Maybe not an outstanding one, but a good pass rusher that can develop into their number one guy. And they would have him on a cost control deal um, for the first five years of it, of his contract or the first five years of his NFL career. And after that little tier of pass rushers, there is, I think more of a drop off at edge rusher than there is a corner, because at least with corner in the second round, you got, you could have guys like, Melifonwu, um, Asante Samuel, who I brought up, that might be a borderline first rounder, probably more of a second rounder. Um, Paulson Adebo is another one to kind of keep an eye on. Tyson Cambo, who's been getting some first round buzz, but you know, there's uh, he's he's at least a name that could drop into round two. Um, Kelvin Joseph from Kentucky is another one. Elijah Molden, who's more of a nickel, not really a great tackler, so I don't know if they would love him, but that's another one. Aaron Robinson, a nickel sort of uh, a nickel corner probably in their scheme from UCF. So there's at least a a pretty solid contingent. But after you get past um, Quiddy Pay, Jalen Phillips, Aziz Ojolari, um, Jason Owe, Joe Tryon, Greg Russo, it, it falls off. And I think there are so many, you also have to look at the teams behind the bills and what they need. And if you look at what uh, just past the bills, the Ravens, the Buccaneers at 31 and 32, the Jaguars, the Jets, the Falcons, the Dolphins, the Eagles, the, and the Bengals all need a pass rusher. They could all justify having a pass rusher. And so that's, one, two, three, four, five, six, eight straight picks after the Bills. So I kind of wonder if there's going to be a run way too early in the second round for them to get one 
at 61 and if they would be just um, at their optimal to take a pass rusher they really like at 30 and then address corner or interior offensive line or something else. Because corner, I don't think is as pressing because they have Dane Jackson and Levi Wallace to at least study the ship for the next one to two years. Whereas edge rusher, I think they have a legitimate problem there in 2022 and beyond. So that's why, that's how my brain kind of takes me to edge rusher over corner. But if it was a corner, I think it would still be worth it too. Yeah, it's the whole point of going best player available is, you know, there's a bucket of needs and a bucket of players who fit those needs and whichever one has the highest grade when they get there. You know, you're not going to dip into the second tier of edge rushers if a top tier corner is Mm -hmm. on the board and vice versa. Um, You know, so I think it's part of, you know, what we talked about at the top being at 30. So many variables about what will happen in front of them, what they'd be willing to do to move up. And, you know, maybe feel a little bit more comfortable about who they're taking. Uh, But I think those two spots make sense. I do think they're not the only two because, you know, we had the running back conversation, but maybe there's a receiver, maybe the right linebacker. Again, if a grade is standing out to them, hasn't really been there mo totally in the first round you know they've Mm -mm. followed some logic as far as needs go uh even though you know it's best player available and all that it's best player available at a position of need and i think they recognize need meets value yeah it's (laughs) and that's how most teams do it i think but that's where except the raiders yeah not every team (laughs) you know some teams are kind of throwing stuff against the against the wall a little bit but seems to be how this team has operated, you know, recognizing the value of that fifth year and the value of that premium pick and spending it on a premium position that is also of need in the long term. So Mm -hmm. I've, you know, I lean towards corner and, and edge as the likely picks in the first round while recognizing the possibility that there are some other directions they could go with it and uh, still, you know, find a way to justify it. But I think, you know, it's not as not as fun as uh, as a running back, mm-hmm. but probably more prudent to their their long term build. Yeah, some maybe oddball names I'll, I'll throw out there that I, I could see the Bills liking um, from edge rusher. I, you know, I mentioned Asante Samuel edge rusher. Joe Tryon to me from uh, Washington seems like something they would really, really like. And it seems like his profile of when, when he's going in mock drafts seems to be steadily rising to the point where, you know, if they take him at 30th overall, they're going to guy who had eight sacks in 12 games in 2019 opted out in 2020 um, also had 12 and a half tackles for loss in his final season, you know, hits everything they want from a height, weight, length uh, profile. Not as explosive as some other guys in the draft, like Quiddy Pay or Aziz Ojolari, but uh, certainly explosive in his own right. You know, comfortable changing directions, fluid in in dropping into coverage. Um, I don't know that he would be their optimal pass rusher, but let's say Quiddy Pay, Aziz Ojolari, and Jalen Phillips are all off the board, and Joe Tryon is, is sitting there. 
I could see them majorly justifying coming away with Joe Tryon as uh, the 30th overall pick. I think he fits them to a T. Um, some other ones, uh, Christian Barmore from Alabama. You know, maybe he's like a hybrid three tech, one tech uh, with the amount of pass coverage that they do. Maybe they, they have value in someone who can kind of be a little bit bigger and can shore up the run like Barmore, um, even though he does have some pass rushing ability up the middle. That's something I could see him doing. And then, you know, an interior lineman, something like Landon Dickerson or Creed Humphrey, I think are in the equation. I don't know if, if Dickerson would just because of the injury risks and the fact that he just tore his ACL and it's their first round pick, everything that goes along with it. He fits them really well, but uh, I don't know if they'd be willing to take that chance. But Creed Humphrey might be someone that, that they can't ignore if these other positions don't work out. So just some oddball names that they could do. So what did I say? Samuel, Barmore, Tryon, and Creed Humphrey. So take it for what it's worth. Did you have any to throw onto the bucket? I think those are all pretty logical. The idea of somebody like Elijah Moore or Rondale Moore is yeah. interesting to me. Possibly more of a second round conversation than a, a first round conversation. I think the interior of the offensive line, you know, what's fun about the the draft is it's one of the clearest signals a team can send about how they feel about what's on their roster. And that's why, you know, any of the interior offensive linemen you mentioned tells you a little something about how they view that mix they have, um, you know, in Mitch Morris, John Feliciano and Cody Ford, one of those players, maybe more than one of those players. Same, you know, kind of goes at defensive end, at, at corner, certainly at running back, like we talked about. Receiver could be another one, right, of how they view, you know, what they're going to do with Cole Beasley long-term, what they think of Gabe Davis, all these things. So I think in the off, you know, to kind of bring it full circle to the offensive playmaker conversation, you know, Rashad Bateman, Elijah Moore, Rondale Moore, all these guys – that could be in that late first round conversation, even Kadarius Tony, if he were to fall a receiver with some return ability who could eventually become the every down slot receiver, a little bit of a wild card, but uh, another fun mm-hmm. possibility to throw into the mix. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I think we did the damn thing an hour and eight minutes. So yeah, draft pep prep complete. I'd say. I think I think we're in a good spot here. The hay is in the barn, as they say. <laughs> sure, sure is. Okay, so our plan for you all this week is you have this preview podcast. Um, we will be recording an episode uh, after the first round to break down what has happened. And that'll take us through Friday. So you can listen to that then Friday morning. It'll, it'll post at some point. Um, and then I believe we're going to do one after the draft has wrapped up. So that way you all have uh, our full thoughts on the draft. Kind of, you know, take it all in yourselves and try to come to conclusions and, and things like that. Well, we'll we'll get through it together. And then at that point in time, the... Uh, there's not going to be anything on the calendar outside of training camp in, in late July. And maybe, maybe, maybe uh, some mandatory mini camp if 
if that gets ironed out between the NFLPA and and the NFL and a schedule so, release. Uh, and a schedule release. I forgot about the schedule release. We're going to do a schedule release pod. Sure. That happens. At least it's not like right smack dab in the middle of draft prep. Like that always it was just like, okay, okay, guys. We we've got we've got enough on our plate. We don't need the freaking schedule too. Um but yeah, it's another way for them to kind of continue on the NFL calendar, especially when there isn't uh, off-season events happening. Yeah, it'll be interesting All to right. see what the off-season program ends up looking like in May mm-hmm. and June as we usually get, you know, some practices um, at this point not locked in. So we'll have one mm-hmm. big event to enjoy this weekend and then the schedule release. And after that, it'll be waiting around for for them to take the field again. Yeah, much like last year, <laughs> in much different terms, I'll say, but but yes, much like last year. All right. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Fairburn. Um, thank you, everyone, to listening to all of our pre-draft episodes. It's been a fun voyage to get to this point, but now it's when the real stuff happens and we get to figure out who the Bills have identified in this draft and when they are on the clock to see if they can get themselves to the point or or that player can help get themselves to the point where they get past Kansas City or whoever else might stand in the way of getting to the Super Bowl. All right, so for Matthew Fairburn, my name is Joe Biscaglia. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Buffalo Beat, and we will next talk to you after round one. See you then.